the first ever episode of USF Health Online's podcast, The Health IT Beat. My name is David Rice, and I'll be your host as we take an in-depth look at the world of health IT and tell stories of how health informatics and healthcare analytics are having real impacts on healthcare now and into the future. Today, we're examining the work of two University of South Florida professors who have teamed up to create a home sensing platform that is silently impacting the lives of seniors in Florida's largest retirement community, known as the Villages. Dr. Carla Vandeweerd, formerly of the College of Public Health, has transitioned into an associate professor role in the College of Engineering. She's also director of research for the Villages Health Unit, specializing in aging, dementia, social determinants of health outcomes, and elder mistreatment. She's teamed up with Dr. Ali Yalchin of USF's College Engineering, a specialist in industrial systems engineering and healthcare analytics. They've come together to explore an idea which falls under the category of remote patient monitoring. It's a development that could impact how medical providers see the way seniors and perhaps eventually all patients live within their homes. The idea of home sensing is reasonably simple. By placing an array of wireless sensors around a home, someone collecting data from those sensors can measure with a high degree of accuracy what goes on inside those walls. How many times was a toilet flushed, a shower turned on, a washing machine used, or how often and when a door opened, be it a refrigerator, medicine cabinet, or main entrance. It all says something about the life occurring within that home. With this information, Researchers can essentially begin to understand a lot about a person's habits and overall lifestyle. They can establish baselines for normal activity and generate alerts or notifications when there is a dramatic or inexplicable deviation from that behavior. The product they've created is known simply as HomeSense. It's the result of a two-year research project that started with 10 participants placing the systems in their homes. But now, as HomeSense begins to move from research project to commercial product, the researchers are expanding to more homes to explore what else the technology can do. It's something that has Yalchin examining what sort of population health level data they can uncover and analyze. One of the uh, things that we talk about in our project is the language of a home. Uh, we believe that the unique patterns of the individual combined with the way the sensor system is laid out allows the home to have a speak a language. It's the sequence of the events that take place in the house. It helps us identify which homes this sequence of sensor events are coming from. And we can do that with very high accuracy. So um, that also means that we may be able to identify patterns that may be across several homes. And then the question becomes, well, are those patterns consistent with certain health conditions? And if we can find that, well, now we're, we have the ability to maybe be able to say, well, look, this particular home's language is very similar to the language of these other homes that has that particular health condition. At that point, we can start doing some um, exploration of what's going on in that home, um, how, how is, is the health of that person. So um, having more homes allows us to do studies that span across different 
homes patterns, and that's very important. We talked to a, a corporate partner that wanted to do a pilot study with us, and um, at the end of the conversation, um, his question was, well, can you tell us if somebody is going to go to the emergency room soon? Well, uh, if I have enough homes and I can see a pattern, a change in how the sensor data shifts with plenty of emergency room visit examples that happen after that type of shift, then I can start maybe talking about this type of change in most cases results in a potential emergency room visit. So expanding to more homes gives us that ability to predict events that go across participants, not necessarily about a change in a single participant's pattern. So it's a, it, it, it would be fantastic to be in thousands of homes, but it's also a difficult feat. The combination of data points represents what analytics professionals call data fusion or the idea that integrating data from multiple sources yields a more accurate, consistent, and useful picture, rather than an indecipherable wealth of information. With Vanderweer's expertise in finding the right data points needed to track and measure a patient's health indicators, and Yalton's expertise in how to go about building a system capable of tracking it, the two believe that this language of a home, as they like to call it, will communicate the type of information necessary to paint a clear picture of a patient's life that healthcare providers have never been able to see before. One of the uh, interesting things about this project is you can measure things by directly censoring them. Uh, you put a motion sensor, if somebody moves in front of it, you catch that motion. But a, a more interesting aspect of it is can you gather more information by looking at the data from the sensors in their totality. Um, for example, somebody comes into the bathroom and you really don't know what they're doing in the bathroom, but you sense that they come in. But if you put a multi-sensor in the bathroom, then which senses humidity, then when the humidity, you see the humidity going up, now you have better reason to believe that this is actually a visit to the bathroom where the participant is taking a shower. The length of how much humidity was increased also tells you something about the length of the shower. So uh, one of the interesting things about that is um, now we can combine sort of direct measures along with environmental sensing to actually tell us a little bit more about what people are doing in their homes, what their daily patterns are. Uh, luminance, light, how much light is in your room is a very good indicator of what you're doing in the evening. You know, when the, artificial, when the uh, natural light from outside is gone and you're using artificial light in your home, when you turn them off, we know you're more than likely not in that location anymore. So uh, it's really interesting things that, that you notice after you start censoring things that, that tell you about these patterns. Uh, another one is um, fridge. It's interesting that you open and close the fridge. Yes, you can put a contact sensor on the fridge to see when somebody opens it and closes it, but you can look at the power draw of the fridge, how much power it consumes, and that is very highly correlated with how often you open the door for that appliance. Um, these are things you don't really think about, 
until you actually put these sensors in the house and you start looking at the data that are coming from them. Um, and this is only the ones that we've figured out so far. And I, I really believe that what we don't know is a lot greater than what we do know. So there's a lot of work to be done there. So let's go back for a second. Where does all this start? How does an engineering professor who specializes in industrial system design team up with an aging expert to create something like HomeSense? The project took shape in 2016 when they were asked to review a product from a corporate home sensing partner of the university. In doing so, they noticed a number of areas where that product fell short. And after separating from the partner, they decided to develop a more comprehensive system of their own. Here's Dr. Vanderweer describing their goals during those early days. So we actually spent a lot of our time in the beginning looking at what are the conditions that affect older adults in late life, what are the signs and symptoms both of onset and progression of those diseases, uh, and then how could we design a sensor system that would actually track changes uh, in those signs and symptoms so that as you did become at risk for sort of disease progression or disease onset, we'd be able to detect that very early, do interventions and preventions, and really help to ensure that older adults can age safely in place independently because overwhelmingly that's what the large majority of older adults in the U.S. would like to do, stay in their home and age safely, um, maintaining their own independence for as long as they possibly can. Uh, and we want them to be able to have good quality of life while they do that. To get started, the pair needed to identify the technology they would use to cultivate a sensor ecosystem that could collect the data points they were looking for. Similar in size to home security sensors, the system is capable of reading motion, pressure, luminance, temperature, potentially even vibration depending on the sensor used in a given space. They then needed to identify which sensors worked best for each data point. To do so, they spent a significant amount of time in the laboratory testing which ones had the best battery life, range, signal reliability, and the ability to diminish noise, or in other words, things that would set the sensors off unnecessarily. By the current trends or standards in healthcare technology that you read about in the news, HomeSense sounds relatively simple in terms of the tech that's involved. In looking closer at this project and telling people about it, I began to notice that it's not unusual for a casual observer to view this as artificial intelligence. And understandably so, if you're not well-versed in research fields related to it or how those within them define intelligence, which is the ability to sense, reason, and ultimately act. The system currently possesses the ability to reason and then generate notifications for caregivers or loved ones if a significant change in behavior is detected. But Yalchin is quick to point out that as such, HomeSense falls closer to a field of research known as ambient intelligence. Its focus is sensing a situation and performing reasoning to understand what's happening, but its actions are somewhat limited. But while the system is simple and easy to use, that simplicity shouldn't be misunderstood. The data that has been collected by the professors and their team of student researchers is not only in-depth, but unique to each participant, providing a caregiver with knowledge which will help them scale their ability to personalize care to seniors in a way that today simply isn't possible. We are in a place with our data collection where we can actually 
we're all creatures of habit. So for example, when you come home to your house at night, you have a tendency to leave your keys in the same spot, to set your bag down in the same place. You sit in the same chair when you watch television in your living room. You might sit at the same place in your dining room or your kitchen when you're actually eating dinner. And because we have routines that are fairly established in our own home, it's very easy for us actually now to look at a house's data and to be able to tell you which house we're looking at without actually knowing. So after about three weeks worth of data for a person, we can actually predict which house it is with about 90% accuracy. And after we have data for about five weeks, we could, that goes up to about 97% and it pretty much levels off there. That also means that if you've had a change in your normal activities, um, we can actually detect that your patterns are not quite the usual for you. So you could get some follow-up care as well, maybe some additional investigation, be reached out to by a case manager who might be able to check, are things okay? Are you Have you had a loss? Are you not feeling as well as you used to? Are you having mobility difficulties? Has something happened? So if there is any kind of issue we want to address, we could do that very early on. The system is more than just sensors, however. To build out a robust infrastructure that could cope with power outages as well as drastic lifestyle and structural variables that exist across different homes, the team would need to create a living lab at Baycare's John Knox Village, just blocks from their lab at USF's Tampa campus. There, they are able to test sensors in a real environment and then fine-tune the system to make adjustments as necessary and figure out which sensors work best in certain areas of the home. They then use a mini-computer of sorts called a Raspberry Pi to help gather all the data and send it back to the lab where it's stored behind a university firewall. They explain it like this. All the sensors we use are wireless and they communicate through the Z-Wave protocol. Uh, that protocol allows the sensors to communicate amongst themselves. Attached to the Raspberry Pi is a command and control center, let's say, that monitors this Z-Wave communications and what we do is we tap into the information that's flowing from, we call it the dongle, or it's called the Z-stick, and extract the information that we need from those sensor network communication and store it temporarily on the local Raspberry Pi. And when there is internet connectivity, which is almost always these days, uh, we relay it to our central server. So the Raspberry Pi works as what we call a gateway. It takes information from one network and then transfers it to another network. Uh, it also, we use it as a temporary storage space where um, if the internet goes down, we still have the capability to collect data and as soon as that connection is reestablished, we get the data back. Um, so I'm testing one of the sensors at my house and we lost internet for five days, but we didn't lose any data because the data was locally stored on the Raspberry Pi. Uh, we routinely access the Raspberry Pi, make sure there's sufficient storage in it. Um, and it also allows us to upgrade our software as we make changes to how we collect and store data. So it's essentially our hook into the entire sensory network in the, in the participants' home. And Raspberry Pis are quite fantastic. I mean, they were originally designed basically to be mini desktop computers for people who are in very resource-poor environments. So in developing countries, for example, they're basically tiny little desktop computers in a device that's about three times as thick as my cell phone. Um, and from that perspective, you can hook keyboards to them, you can hook a monitor to them. You know, they operate on Wi-Fi or um, Z-Wave or, you know, Blueberry, uh, Bluetooth, sorry. And we can, you know, operate all these different technologies on them. But their cost is about 
$60, and that's paying full retail, and you can get them actually as cheap as about $25, minus parts that might be extraneous to you, but this is a much more competitive price point, um, and cost was really a big factor for us in thinking about how we design this home uh, sensing system. We wanted to really make sure that we would design a system that's affordable, so that the average Joe who might be caring for their mom at home, um, or Susie who might be caring for her mom at home, or an older adult who might be living sort of um, retirement check to retirement check could afford to have a system like this in their home without breaking the bank. So the cost sort of full retail for us right now of, of some sensor system is somewhere between four and $600. And that price point is very much dependent on whether you live in a one bedroom house or a three bedroom house, if you have one bathroom or three bathrooms. And we don't have 100% coverage in a house, but we probably have close to about 80 or 85% coverage. So if, for example, you opened a bedroom door and the door was open and you were standing behind it, I might not know that you got stuck there. But now, because we do data fusion, I would actually know that your typical pattern is to open the door and step into the room, and that hasn't happened. So I will also get a notification that says, oops, Mrs. Jones hasn't followed her typical pattern. There's been no movement in the house. So even though I can't see her on a sensor, I know that there's been a change in her behavior that might signal that something has gone wrong. Once the data is back in the central server, it can be cleaned and used to create data visualizations that are specific to a person's role in the spectrum of care. For example, certain data points may not mean much to a family member, but the same data will mean a great deal to a visiting caregiver. The participant has the power to select who they are willing to share the data with and what information each of the other parties will see, essentially handing control of the data over to the patient. So our technology is designed to be very um, consumer driven. So as the older adult, it's my decision who I want to share my information with. So I can choose to share it with my daughter. I could choose to share it with a neighbor. I could choose to share it with a paid um, case manager or a home care worker or with my doctor. But ultimately, it's my data. It's my information. I'm in the driver's seat of deciding who has access. And we have several kinds of um, we call them profiles. So if, for example, the information I share with my daughter might be very different than information I'd be willing to share with a paid case manager, because maybe I don't really want my daughter to see what goes on in my house after 11 o'clock at night, because maybe I have friends who I want to come visit me, and I don't really want my children to know about that. So from that perspective, you know, that would end their data visualization. Or maybe I don't really want my children to know about my bathroom habits, because I'm a little bit more conservative in that ideology, but I want them to be able to see that I'm up and moving around my home. So we have several different kinds of profiles that can be expanded or limited depending um, on what your personal choices might be. What do you actually know about your activity inside your own home? How many trips per day do you make to the refrigerator? How much time do you spend sedentary interacting with electronic devices? How many trips to the bathroom do you make? These are all things that we think we have a firm grasp on, but when we take a closer look, we realize that our perception of our reality and the actual reality are two very different things. When participants sign up for the study, they go through an initial interview process in which they are asked questions regarding these things. And often, the results surprise the participant. Van der Weerd actually experienced this herself. We have partners at John Knox Village who have very graciously given us a senior living apartment where we actually have all of our test sensors, we have a, like a testing, we call it the living lab, actually set up. So we initially put all the sensors in there to make sure that they're great. And as the next step before putting them into older adult homes, we put them into my house so that I would be able to sort of make sure that everything's working now with a person who is, you know, able to consent. It's no problem. And of course, you know, initially we do this comprehensive health assessment. We ask people, what time do you go to bed? How much TV do you watch? 
And I thought, well, I'm an academic. I work really hard. I probably watch like maybe an hour, 90 minutes of TV at best. And sure enough, when I looked at my own sensor data, I was like, good night. I'm watching like three hours of TV every single night. Like this is not what I would have anticipated. And, you know, we ask people, what time do you go to bed? What time do you wake up? How often do you use the bathroom at night? And people don't maliciously tell you this information wrong, but quite often their perception of what they're doing is a lot different uh, than what they really are doing. So we have a two-week sort of um, adjustment period where once we put the sensors in, we go back and actually look at people's home-based behaviors and make sure that what they've reported to us is in fact what's really happening. Realizing you aren't necessarily as in touch with your daily habits as you initially thought may be a jarring experience. But it isn't the only part of the HomeSense project where the end user's comfort is a concern, especially now that this data that reveals how they actually live within the walls of their home is documented somewhere. You can probably sense where I'm going with this. It's nearly impossible to have this conversation without talking about the elephant in the room when it comes to all this data collection. In an era of technological innovation, where privacy issues are a constant concern, how do participants feel about these sensors being placed in their home and transmitting data about the way they live their lives to people they barely know, or in some cases, don't know at all? With the older adults that we interacted with, there wasn't really a lot of concerns about their privacy. And I think part of that is the idea that people don't really understand how their information might be harnessed as well. You know, there's a lot of insurance companies. I was just reading an article yesterday about big insurance companies now who are paying for your, um, you know, social data in terms of thinking about how often you're using your cell phone and what kinds of things are you posting and have you recently got divorced? That might lead to increased healthcare costs. Um, you know, they say right now they're using those things as tools to improve health care service delivery, but certainly it could also be used to, you know, improve risk modeling and price points and that kind of thing as well, which might put people at risk. But I'm not sure the current generation or the vast majority of the current generation of older adults is really attuned to those kinds of things because a lot of them grew up in a generation when computers weren't even available. So as we enroll older adults, very often we have discussions with people's children about the technology that we're using. Um, you know, we have an IRB that supervises all the things that we do in the field, so that gives us right away another layer of oversight where parent, uh, children can feel comfortable that their parents are giving data that's being used in ways that are ethical and appropriate because um, we have monitoring by an independent board that's making sure we're doing the right things. All the data we collect is actually completely de-identified when it comes from a house. So, you know, it doesn't say Mrs. Jones is house 10. We'll get, you know, just an ID number that's not associated with Mrs. Jones's name at all. That information is double encrypted when it comes to us. Um, so from that perspective, we put a lot of measures in place to really make sure that we are being good stewards of people's privacy um, and that we are only sharing data in the aggregate in ways that are anonymous um, so that we're protecting people's privacy long term. Because, you know, realistically, you could learn a lot about a person you could use our tools to target, you know, specific kinds of products for sale. Like if you know that I'm a person who mostly opens my freezer door and not my fridge door, that I'm probably living alone, that I eat a lot of frozen meals, there's a whole market of products that I might be able to then target to you. Um, and it's important to us that we're using, you know, the data that we collect in ways that are very ethical. Um, and we spend a lot of time working with our students around sort of ethics um, in terms of their development, professional development as well. So um, from that perspective, we try to really be good stewards. Yeah, I think um, there's two issues here that uh, come into play. One is privacy and the other one is security. I think everybody's data is very secure. Uh, there's standards for it. We've taken every humanly possible measure to secure this data. And in all honesty, access to this data does not give anybody any information that they can put together. Uh, 
without having uh, an understanding of where the sensors are and what they are. They just become zeros and ones. Uh, now, from a privacy perspective, though, you know, privacy is, is a very subjective thing. Some people are private, and no matter um, what the benefits may be, they just will not share that privacy, uh, whatever they define as privacy. And then, on the other hand, some people are just very open about it. Um, it's a little bit like fear of flying. Some people, you know, they know the facts. They know what's going on, what the accident rates are flight with flights, but they won't get on a flight. And some people, they can do it every day. Um, so we can effectively address the security aspect. Privacy aspect, I think it's a societal thing. It's a generational thing. Um, and it's an individual thing. So we'll, we'll all wait to see how um, you know, our society evolves and how these privacy concerns with the data that we share shape up. You know, people share much, much more private things on Facebooks and Instagram and whatnot um, compared to what it would be with a home sense system that we have. But um, you know, it's, it's hard to draw a line and say, these are the people who will accept it, and these are the people who won't. It also makes a big difference that we don't do any video or audio recording of people in their homes, because we did a lot of focus groups with older adults before we designed our system to sort of say, what do you want in a system, what matters to you? And they were overwhelmingly clear that they did not want people videoing them, that they did not want people to be like recording their conversations, that they felt like that was way too intrusive. Now, I can get a lot of the same information in terms of your daily habits just by looking to see that you triggered this motion sensor than that motion sensor I know where you are in your home but it feels very different for people certainly for the current generation of older adults it feels much less intrusive um, from that perspective so we really tried to build a system that was also respectful of what they wanted in their home 85 year old Bertram Barraby is a participant in the project he heard about HomeSense through his medical provider at the villages and decided to give it a try Carla took me to sit down with Barraby to discuss the project and get his impressions of it his belief in the potential it holds for his neighbors and friends quickly became evident. Since embracing the system in his own home, Bert, as he likes to be called, has voluntarily begun to give talks to different community groups around the villages, evangelizing the system in the hopes that others will begin to adopt it. Bert says his audiences often see the benefit of HomeSense, the peace of mind it can give their children, the value to a caregiver, things like that. But despite understanding all the value, the privacy conversation often comes up. Now, there were some that looked at the other side of the coin. Every coin has a heads and tails. And the tails section was more of, geez, I hate to lose my privacy this way. Everyone's gonna know. Like the best thing that you have in, in your program is that you have not added visual or sound. If that was added to it, I can tell you right now, most of it, you would be dead in the water. I had one, one person say, I don't want people to know when I want to fart, I want to fart. And I'm living alone in my house. And they were right, this is 150 people. And they just flat out said it that way. Jeez, I maybe shouldn't have said that. <laughs> but I, this was one of the things, you know. And, uh, it gives you an idea of why, if you'd have gone in that direction, yeah. 
I don't think you'd have been successful in any way. Bert's talks with the community groups cover a range of topics, including uses for the technology that ring true to those experiencing a wide range of health issues, be it physical or perhaps even mental. I go into my talk with a lot of things where this could be used that's not in your paperwork, <laughs> okay? Like, um, as an example, bowel movements. If, if normally you have a bowel movement three or four times a day, and all of a sudden someone goes up to 15 bottles a day, you know that there's a problem involved. And that's the purpose of this measuring, you know, that, and explain to them in that respect. And then I use another example of the, uh, your liquid cabinet, that when you have it on the doors, that if normally you just go around five, six o'clock in, into your liquid cabinet and the door gets opened two or three times, that's the normal, thing for most people in this, older people. Uh, <clears throat> but if all of a sudden the liquor cabinet door starts opening up at 8 o'clock in the morning and it opens up between 8 and 12 for maybe 6 or 7 times, there's a problem beginning to it. And everyone understood these two examples. Bert is quite good at seeing scenarios where HomeSense can prove helpful. When I was there, he was sharing research with Carla about how sensor systems can be applied to cars and talked a great deal about what he sees for the project's future. And throughout, he often comes back to the peace of mind HomeSense can provide for children. For that reason alone, the system is something that many residents within the villages would consider. As we talk, he relates it to Carla's situation with her father, who lives in Canada. The children want to know, well, what's dad doing now? Or what's mom doing right now? Um, I'm wondering if everything, you know, they beginning to go a little bit, people's hygiene. Older folks have a tendency after a while, their hygiene starts going down. If all of a sudden you're taking a shower every day or every two days, and then you go a week without taking a shower, the kids should be concerned about that. And they are concerned about it. Those are the type of things that they're most concerned about. I'm sure you're worried about your dad with the same thing. If he starts taking a shower only once every week or every two or three weeks, you're going to be worried to death about him. And, and that's things like doing laundry, right? Like if yeah, you start doing, doing laundry. Your laundry less, it's because you have less energy. Maybe you're having some mobility problems. It's the start of, yeah. of a change. The question is not if home sense can work. The fact is, it already does. Carla was keen to emphasize that establishing that fact is exactly what she and Yalchin have been up to these last two years. Now, the pair are setting their eyes toward widespread adoption, as outlined in the plan they laid out from the beginning. From the start, they set out to build the system around five principles. Functionality, or in other words, the practicality of the setup across differing environments. Flexibility, or the ability to adjust the system for special circumstances of an individual and their home. Simplicity, or in other words, it's easy for end users to understand and glean actionable information from. Affordability, a low price point ensures a higher rate of adoption. Modularity, the ability to seamlessly incorporate other technology into the data collection process, such as wearables and other physiological data monitors. Those five principles have been met with the system as it is. The only hurdle left is for it to overcome the privacy perception. The two are optimistic that because of the design of HomeSense, it's not an issue that will hamper their progress. 
and the more they talk to people in their target demographic, the more confident they become. Take, for example, Jim Stickle. Jim is the president of the visually impaired persons group in the villages. HomeSense already fits the description in many ways for a system that would be successful with his constituency. He emphasizes that it can't be too invasive before saying this. What will work is something that makes them more comfortable. Uh, that is, if, for instance, they had a non-invasive but presence in the home with them, so that when they're in the home, uh, they're not going to feel you know, any intrusion. However, what they do know is if something would happen, like they would fall and couldn't get up, or they would be in, in trouble somehow, uh, medically, in, in, in a sense, they don't feel real well. I mean, they'll know when they need help if the system could, in almost real time, begin the process of notifying the right person or doing the right thing. I think that would uh, kind of alleviate some of the fears that they have of this big brother concept of the system watching every move. Home sensing technology is evolving clearly and quickly. And I use that word evolving intentionally because the truth is there is no end destination for home sensing. The modularity of the system is intended to make it flexible, able to combine with smart technology to create an intuitive living space. But beyond it evolving to grow with the technology around it, its application is likely to evolve too. In fact, Few people connected with the project have a definitive answer as to where all this is going. Current pilot projects involving HomeSense are focused on multi-morbid patients with complex conditions such as memory impairment and heart disease. But its potential doesn't end at healthcare. In, in its simplest terms, I, I like to define this project as datafication of human behavior. Uh, our current focus is on older adults and health, but it's you know, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to think about what does datafication of human behavior mean, what it can be used for, what are the different and probably broader scope applications of it. Um, of course, it's not easy to jump from one application domain, such as, you know, older adults and health, to another application domain which may involve um, I don't know, athletes, for example. You know, as a professional sports team, wouldn't you want to know the guy that you're paying $40 million to is doing at home? So the, the, the potential for the type of research we do is big. Um, and where it's going to go, I think it's going to depend on the people who utilize this platform or this uh, approach. Um, we choose health because we believe in it and, and it's important for us uh, and we'd like to see it get to the stage where one of our corporate partners asked us if, or potential corporate partners asked us if this system could predict an emergency visit. Yeah, I'd love to be able to be at a place and tell you that, you know, we'll let you know when you may need to go to the emergency room. Uh, we're not there yet, obviously, but um, as we talked before, as we get into more homes, as, as these things happen, we will see if, not if, what kind of data is necessary to do what kind of predictions. 
And that's, I think it's only a matter of time. It's not a matter of if anymore. We'll get there. Just the question is who will and how. Along the journey to get to this point, Yalchin and Vanderweerd have identified partners that are helping them to innovate in the form of bed sensors and other technology that can complement what HomeSense already does. From the village's health system to technology vendors that can plug in to enhance HomeSense's current operations, those partnerships are important because the more collaborative HomeSense becomes, the more researchers are able to clearly establish the value this technology brings to the table. The benefits of this technology is really uh, not clear. Uh, it ranges anywhere from journal papers that say, hey, look, you know, the amount of time you spend out of your home is correlated with a well-recognized uh, loneliness or depression score. All the way in the market, you would see people selling a box of sensors and telling you to put it up and saying that, well, you know, this could detect emergencies, so on and so forth. If not false, maybe let's say exaggerated uh, benefits. And what we're trying to do is really trying to build partnerships with uh, players in the healthcare industry to actually demonstrate tangible values that, that, that are beyond reasonable doubt associated with this technology. Does it reduce healthcare costs? You know, does it detect emergencies? There's not that many um, businesses out there uh, involved in testing this technology as a product. Uh, and, and that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to get businesses to tell us what are some of the most va valuable objectives are for them that could be addressed through the use of this system. And you know, as we get successful with each partnership, we would be discovering and quantifying what these, these benefits are. The benefit isn't something most current participants, such as Bert, doubt. His long-term outlook for the project is bright. As he reads stories about other advancements in medical technology, Bert's belief in home sense grows. And it's not hard to see why. It's estimated that 10,000 baby boomers will turn 65 each day through the next decade. At the same time, the number of caregivers and healthcare practitioners is decreasing. This is a major problem, one that health IT professionals are working diligently to address. And tools like HomeSense, with its potential to connect doctors with patients in more proactive ways as opposed to reactive, are a big part of that. Eliminating boundaries to patient care, diversifying the provider's tool set for engaging patients, breaking down the current doctor-patient dynamic where care stops at the door to the doctor's office. These are all things we talk about in health IT, things that will revolutionize healthcare to be more efficient and effective than it's ever been. But don't take it from me. I like the way Bert says it better. To me, this would be an unbelievable gift to the world, I think. To not only to the United States, but to the rest of the world. And this is something that you're right at the, the at the beginning of. And if you begin to use it, I think spectacular things can come out of it. To me, life expectancy, God only knows what it could be.
Thank you for joining us on this inaugural episode of the Health IT Beat, a podcast produced by USF Health Online. I'm your host, David Rice. I hope you'll join us next time as we continue to bring you stories and news from the world of health IT.